A short reading from To Bless the Space Between Us by Irish poet John O'Donohue. Pages 205 and 206. The Soul of Blessing. How we think determines so much of what happens to us. Sometimes we are unaware of the most powerful truths about ourselves. For instance, that each of us has a soul. We go on with our everyday lives as if we are completely dependent on our own ability, though aware of how frail and limited that can be. The world of spirit is strange. It is subtle and concealed. It will wait for our calling. If you never think of your soul, but confine it to some vague region of spiritual fantasy, you squander an infinite energy at the heart of your life. Once you awaken to your soul, you know that you are no longer alone, nor are you at the mercy of your own frailty and limitation. Awakening to your soul, you begin to learn another way of being in the world. Awakening to your soul, you begin to learn another way of being in the world. The old barriers no longer confine you. The old wounds no longer name you. And the old fears no longer claim you. Not that all of this simply disappears in some new born-again conversion. A blessing does not erase the difficult nor abolish it, but it does reach deeper to draw out the hidden fruit of the negative. The old patterns do not evaporate, but become transformed under the persuasion of the soul's new affection. The core of the human is not some psychological cellar that holds the crippled shapes of our woundedness and destructive choices, but the soul, the core self that dovetails into the infinite. Meister Eckhart said, The soul has two faces. One is directed toward your life, the other toward God. Our literal lifeline is this continuity with the infinite. To realize and believe this increases confidence. It can light up every thought, word, and action. Ultimately, thought is the infinite breathing inside the word. Our grounding in the soul means that regardless of how badly we think of ourselves, there is a wholesomeness in us that no one has ever been able to damage. The intention of friendship, love, and prayer is to allow your heart to enter this inner sanctuary where it can regain its confidence, renew its energy, and quicken with critical and creative vision. The soul is the home of vision. The soul is the home of vision. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, 
we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello, dear heartlifters, and welcome back to our deep dive summer season of Reset, where we are going deep into each and every tool of my new book, Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools for an Emotionally Healthy You. If you have not grabbed your copy, today's the day. It's not too late to start. I created this summer reset in a very relaxed, <sighs> catch your breath kind of way. I didn't want to have anything forced or registrations or anything like that. I wanted you to be on your own timetable, go at your own pace, but I do want you to be able to find all of these resources. So make sure you hop over to JanelleRairden.com slash subscribe and give me just your name and email. I don't give anybody that information so that you can be front and center getting where you're going to find all the goodies for our summer reset. We're coming out of a global pandemic, aren't we? And there's a lot of unknowns out there, a lot of uncertainty. But the one thing I do know, the one thing I'm absolutely certain of is that these nine tools inside of this book, Stronger Every Day, when you practice them, when you possess them, when you keep them in the forefront of your mind, they help you Yep, they help you become stronger every single day. And that is our goal. So today we move into tool three. Tool three is the last of our three tools that are in the first movement of the book, which is the envision movement. This is where we picture our future. We mentally establish and visualize what we want to see in our future and what we want to be in our future. You know, the word of God says, you know, that you have not because you ask not. So we are asking for something greater here because Jesus himself left us with the words that greater things will you do than I have done. I'm not making that up. That is a powerful declaration that Christ left with all of us. And I don't want to settle. I don't ever want to settle. I want to live into my highest purpose. And I love in the poem that we just read, actually, it wasn't a poem. It was just a short essay by John O'Donohue when he says, the soul, right? The soul has its unique vision. What is the vision inside of your soul? Have you stopped long enough to even think about or ask such a question? Well, we're asking it today. And I'm going to be reading some short excerpts from Tool 3, Shape Healthy Thoughts. The intention of Tool 3 is I shape healthy thoughts each and every day. That's why I chose that short excerpt by John O'Donohue because of the rich, <laughs> way that he speaks of our thoughts and how they're tucked so deeply within. And the only way to access the deeper thoughts, the thoughts about who we really are, who really, 
who really is living in our skin, is to practice those contemplative practices of stillness, silence, and solitude. So when we talk about cognitive reframing, which is the clinical term for the tool or the psychological tool that is uh, front and center in tool three, we're talking about our minds. We're talking about how our minds develop uh, these things we call thoughts. And so I'd like to begin on page 83. Our minds are like a garden. And as you know, a huge theme of Stronger Every Day was my backyard cast of beautiful summer growth. And I talk a lot about gardens in this and in the very final chapter of the book, the final tool. Oh, you're going to just love it. You're going to be so excited because we yet enter into another beautiful secret garden. And it's just, it's just a feast of the senses. And it's going to just make you feel so good. So I begin, one of the world's earliest self-help authors, James Allen, in his classic book, As a Man Thinketh, wisely compared the mind to a garden. Biographers give insights into why he might have come to this conclusion. When he was 15, hmm, his father was robbed and murdered. Alan had to quit school and go to work to support his family. This childhood trauma forced him to grow up quickly and face difficult grown-up challenges. Perhaps that is why later in life he decided to leave the hustle and bustle of city life and move to the countryside where he could live a simpler, more contemplative life. So I'll take a pause here because a big initiative, a big part of this tool is to reframe our thinking, to look at our thoughts, and to ask that deeper question, am I living, am I living in the story, am I living in the narrative that I was called to live in? Now, that's a deep question. (laughs) The whole topic of callings is, is a big deal. But for today, simplify this into one significant, positive, healthy thought that I want to just have. It's actually a question, but have that rolling through your mind as we go through this episode. Am I living? Am I living the true God-breathed narrative that I was born to live? Hold on to that thought. James Allen writes, A man's mind may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild. But whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. By pursuing this process, a man sooner or later discovers that he is the master gardener of his soul, the director of his life. And I add here, as we have been talking to Dr. Allison Cook about her book, Boundaries for Your Soul, she and her co-author, who we will hopefully have on very soon, Kimberly, 
write all about learning to live in a spirit-led self-leadership capacity, that we truly are the captains of our soul. We have a capacity to think, to speak, to hear, and to know. And for so many years within my faith walk, especially in the first early decades, couple decades, I didn't receive uh, a lot of teaching about empowering (laughs) myself to think. I was more led to depend. I was in the charismatic movement. So I was, mm, what's the word, (laughs) inclined to rely on prophecies by others that I was told were esteemed prophets in the faith. I tended to lean on, I can't make a decision or think about some big life choice unless I run it by my pastor or the elders. With all due respect, I do not have any regret about that. I feel like I was led in in some beautiful ways until I wasn't. But I believe today that today that I know that I know I serve a Trinity, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit who dwell within my life. They are within me. Christ said that. Christ said, I am in you. I am the hope of glory in you. And once again, I'll repeat what I said earlier. Greater things will you do than I did because I am in you. Heartlifters, I've taken a leap and I want you to join me. In 1989, Kevin Costner played an Iowa farmer in the blockbuster film Field of Dreams. Strangely, he was inspired by a voice he couldn't ignore, and that voice was encouraging him to pursue a dream he could hardly believe. And that voice said to him, build it, and they will come. Well, strangely enough, a couple years ago, I too heard a voice and I believe it was God's voice and it said, Janelle, create a podcast and the listeners will come. And I'm happy to report that the podcast is growing. The last few months, we have had over 5,000 downloads. Heartlifters, that's a lot of people receiving hope and help and healing. I want to invite you today please come join me on this remarkable journey. I want to party with you. I want to journey together. Every month we'll meet, we'll have conversations, Q&As, we'll talk about themes and ideas and concepts and figure out ways that we can be more effective and help more people. So I'd love to have you come be a part of one of my circles of trust. There are three different tiers that you can join and you can learn all about it over on JanelleRairdon.com slash podcast. Everything you need to know is right there. Once you get to JanelleRairdon.com slash podcast, you'll see a blue bar with a green button and it says, yes, I want to be a patron of the podcast. Just click on that, and we are on this journey together. And in John 17, just to verify that theologically, his last prayer was about unity. And it was about, let my people 
Those people who are called to follow me, Jesus says, let them be one with you, Father. So when I speak now in my life, in the seventh decade, I feel like I finally grasp the power of shaping my own healthy thoughts, of thinking my own thoughts. I am empowered to know the way that I should go. It's inside of me. I don't need anyone else to tell me that it's okay or not okay. Now, there's also a beautiful scripture that says there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. So we all have to have a circle of trust, uh, people who hold us in accountability and who will affirm what you've heard. You know, my husband's one of those. My children are in my circle of trust. Their partners, their husbands, their wife, you know, and a few close friends are in my circle where I go, here's what I think I'm hearing. Would you pray about it with me? But I don't need anyone to tell me. It's very immobilizing and paralyzing to have that kind of codependency even within the church. So this Stronger Everyday Movement is about empowering ourselves to recognize the voice of God in our lives, John 10, and to recognize the voice of a stranger so that we can walk and live our truest narrative. And that might, that might invite us to make some tough choices, you know, to maybe uproot ourselves from a very, like, like James Allen did, from the hustle and bustle of a city life, a busy life, to move out into a simpler life. You know what we say here, a strong life is a quiet life. Strong life is a simple life. I continue on page 84. Allen's words sound as if they could be commentary on the Apostle Paul's words found in his final exhortation to the church at Philippi. Might he have been a student of Paul's writings? We don't know if James Allen read Paul's writings. I can't find evidence of any such correlation, but his words absolutely echo the wisdom of Philippians 4.8. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually. (laughs) What an adverb, right? On these Things. And the Amplified Bible says the, the latter part of this verse this way Center your mind on them, which is everything that's right and good and honorable and wise and uh, of good repute and excellent. Center your mind on all of these virtues, these healthy, positive virtues, and implant them in your heart. So page 85, I just give a a, a primer, a cognitive reframing 101. Both Paul's and Alan's words herald the potential and power of the seeds of our thought life. So we're thinking about our thinking today. Our thoughts. Are they healthy? Are they unhealthy? We're going to start noticing. We're going to be having... Increased awareness 
on a day-to-day basis this week. That's our challenge with tool three, is to step back, slow down, saunter, sit and see, and spend some time with your thought life. What is it focusing on? Do you hear shameful thoughts? Do you hear grace-filled thoughts? Are you speaking healing thoughts to your body, into your life? I heard a beautiful word yesterday that I want to dig into called ask-formations. You know, we usually say affirmation, but ask-formations. And then another one, affirmations. so form. And we know that shape, the word shape, to shape a healthy thought is to take an active role, it's a verb, in how we mold, how we um, shape, how we you know, cause these shapes to grow in our mind. They also present us with two clear choices. Either we cultivate our mind or we neglect it. In the mental health field, cognition, which we're talking about here, is defined by the American Psychological Association as all forms of knowing and awareness. And this would include perception, conceiving thoughts, remembering reasoning, judging, imagining, and problem-solving. Along with affect and conation, it is one of the three traditionally identified components of our mind. So a huge part of our mind, our mental state, is this curation, this shaping, this creation of how we think. Because as James Allen said, as a man thinks, so is he. Cognition's a fancy word for our thoughts and our thought processes. So it always leaves me asking these four questions, which I have also spoken in more depth even in overcoming healthy, hurtful words. Wow, I must be healed. <laughs> overcoming hurtful words. I love that I just slipped that way. Why do we think the way we think? Why do we hear the way we hear? Why do we speak to others the way we do? And why do we allow others to speak to us the way they do? If you want to pause for a moment and go back uh, to season two, episode 16, why do I think the way I think? In that episode, I'm sharing from Overcoming Hurtful Words, my last book. And I'm giving you a little more insight than, than I, the way that I'm going today. So if you want to get a little bit more uh, clinical, I guess, or medical in the way that you think, or psychological, then go back and listen to season two, episode 16. And you can also listen to season four, episode 13, with um, author Margaret Feinberg, who exhorts us in implementing in our life daily declarations. So that's, those are two really helpful additional podcast episodes that I think you'll like. I continue on 85. Our answers to these four questions often reveal important information about something we call cognitive distortion. And I want to focus in on this today. Faulty thinking, known in some circles as stinking thinking. Irrational, irrational. That's the key. If you have the book, page 85, you're going to circle irrational, ways of processing our thoughts that cloud the skies of mental clarity or simple, clear thinking. 
I know you've heard that song if you haven't. Um, I can see clearly now. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Excuse me for that, but I just had to. I love that song. It's like the theme song of our Stronger Everyday community because we want to have clear thinking. We want the sky in our mental capacity to be blue and just full of light. I like the simplicity of the Cambridge Dictionary's definition of stinking thinking. A bad way of thinking that makes you believe you will fail, that bad things will happen to you, or that you're not a very good person. Oh yeah, I'm going to lean in here. Here we go. I'm going to read it one more time. Anything resonating with you at all? The definition of stinking thinking. A bad way of thinking that makes you believe you will fail, that bad things will happen to you, or that you're not a very good person. Where do these distortions in our thinking and our thought processes come from? Are they a product of nature, a product of nurture, or a product of both? Sometimes we are born with natural bents towards thinking and behaving in a certain way. You know, some people are born an optimist. Some are born with a pessimistic view. Once again, I will, I will just encourage you to go to the Enneagram. Take your Enneagram test to find out what your number is. And that's right on uh, JanelleRudin.com slash Stronger Every Day. You'll find the test for that. And some of these ways that we're born with are often based on genetic disposition and cultural influence. So I write, perfectionists are hard on themselves and others. Pessimists see the glass half empty. Passionate individuals lean toward being hot-tempered. Introverts tend to retreat. Extroverts tend to overshare. So there are proclivities, right, in how our personality is formed. And most often... I believe very wholeheartedly that our personalities are God-breathed. He breathed into us who he wants us to be, but then they have vice sides and virtue sides, and they have a lot of shadows. So the more growth that the more work you do on your mental processes of thinking, the more time you put in to understand, why do I keep doing that and saying that? Why do I keep yelling? Why do I keep uh, talking in a sharp tone? And why am I doing that? Quite possibly underneath that is because you're not feeling heard. And you think if you escalate your voice and you, you speak louder and louder, you're going to be heard. And, then, and that's not true. So there's a deeper shadow underneath that that you want to you wanna pay attention to. Sometimes our family of origin shapes or nurtures patterns of faulty thinking. Children of alcoholics lean toward codependency. Yes. Dissatisfied mothers live through a child, often creating enmeshment. High achievers lean toward ambition and striving. Anxious parents often create fear and worry-based tendencies. I just was on a podcast this morning and the, uh, the, the, host asked me, I have two little girls. How can I best rear them in a grace-based, love-based language and not a shame one? And I said, do your work. Do your work. You be as healthy as you can. Your wife needs to be as healthy as she can be emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, relationally. 
Realize you're never going to be perfect, but you can be committed to progress and practice so that when your children walk through the door with the immense burden of so many cultural pressures on their lives, no matter what age they are, they walk into your home and they exhale and they feel safe. And they know I can talk about anything with my mom and dad, anything. And they are going to listen. They're going to see me. They're going to hear me. They know me. And I belong there. Continuing page 86, sometimes great success and ease breed entitlement. Some people believe they're invincible, that nothing or no one will get in their way, and that they deserve to be spoken to and treated in a certain way despite their actions. Sometimes authoritarian households and sometimes authoritarian churches, schools, organizations stifle or repress our thinking. I've circled that one so many times, (laughs) so many times. If you've read the book, if you know my story, yes, so many authoritarian people and personalities in my life from the very, very young, young age have stifled and repressed my true self. Not anymore. Some people believe they have no voice. I didn't. I didn't even know I had a voice. Their needs don't matter. Nobody cares about them and they'll never measure up. Sometimes neglect or abuse leaves us shamed and shattered. Some people some people believe they will never be good enough, so why even try? What the heck? They feel worthless. Whatever the case, God's design for our minds as Paul so beautifully described back in Philippians 4, 8, is for our thinking to be healthy and whole. So if this is possible, in light of these cognitive distortions in our minds and the million ways they work, how can we be healthy and highly functional? Because in this community, we're not settling for just functional. We're going to be highly functional. We want to be our best, most, most healthy selves. So in this tool, when you read through it, when you take a highlighter, when you reread it, when you do your homework, you're going to be able to observe and note where unhealthy thoughts, irrational thoughts, illogical thoughts, ill-fitting thoughts, stinking thinking is going on. And you're going to be able to discern the motive behind the automatic and emotional reactions that you tend to have. And so depending on the school of thought, there are uh, many different uh, ways to compile a cognitive distortion list. I chose a top 10. I just compiled my own and gave them my, uh, my own nicknames. And they are on 87 and 88. And I really encourage you to take some time to read through them and go, oh, that's me. So I'll just quickly do it. The assumer. Your cognition, your thinking, your perception, your reception is based on assumption. We think we know what someone else is thinking. Oh my God, I have been this for so long. Assuming what someone thinks about me. She thinks I'm stupid. He hates me. They don't like me. That's a distortion. That's some stinking thinking. Just a quick add there, when you possess that secure attachment, we have been, you know, pounding the table over here in this podcast, in our community, in the book. When we earn that secure attachment, when we possess it, we know who we are. We're secure 
we have a good cling. We cling to God in a beautiful, autonomous way. And we really just, in a very healthy way, just don't care what other people think in the healthiest way. Of course, I want my children, my husband to think highly of me. I want to be respected. But I don't need to assume what other people are thinking anymore. It's just not, it's not there. There's a magnifier, somebody who blows things way out of proportion. My husband bounced a check, so our credit rating is ruined forever. There's the shrinker, someone who denies how something has affected them. Oh, it's really no big deal. No worries. No worries. My story's silly compared to the suffering of others. It's okay. Not a problem. It's okay. The generalizer. Conclusion based on one or two events that are then taken as a universal law. So one thought like that might be, I was emotionally wounded in a church setting. Hmm, wonder whose thought that is. All churches, therefore, are unsafe, and I'll never go back to church. Universal statements include words like all, never, everyone, always. You always do this. You never do that. You never answer my texts. You always do that. The black and white thinker is our fifth distortion, and that's just thinking in absolutes. You know, it's good to be prophetic, to have, you know, really strong black and white um, opinions and beliefs, but <laughs> that would invite us, the, the vice of that would be make sure you're moving in grace and love. So a black and white thinker might say, either I do this or I do that or I don't do it at all. It would be an either or situation, not a both and. The judger is a, has preconceived notions and expectations of others. You can usually notice a judger by their shoulding language. You know, they should all over you. Should, 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 should. You should discipline your children this way. You should call me every day. You should think this way. You can notice that right away. The personalizer just takes everything personal. Hello, I am raising my hand. Past tense. Everything is our fault, whether this is true or not. Her mean words are because I did something wrong. Oh my God, I've lived most of my life in the personalizer state. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm. The discounter, seeing only the negative and discounting anything positive. We might say negative Nancy here, right? Someone compliments you and you immediately respond, oh, I could have done better. I, I should have worn a different shirt. I should have done this. You know, it's just tripping all over themselves. So that is an insecure attachment. That is someone who, who really does need to understand that they are known and seen and heard and loved in an unconditional manner. Nine is the labeler. Someone who applies words or phrases onto others and believing words or phrases placed on us by others. Well, she's the messy daughter. <laughs> oh, he doesn't know how to tell time. He is always late. He always was the class clown. And then our final one is the emotionalist. Always allowing emotions to rule the perception and interpretations of everyone. Drama, drama, drama. A lot of times the emotionalist can be labeled histrionic. You know, everything is, life is a hyperbole. If I feel this way, it must be true. I wasn't picked for the team. They hate me. I'm a loser. So what I give you in the middle of tool three 
is a mental gym that I call heart lifting, okay? And I outline for you a beautiful chart and I give you an example of my own. And I ask you to just spend a day looking at your thinking and your thought processes. And I give you five significant factors to look at. The date and time of your faulty thinking, that's stinking thinking. The trigger word, phrase, nonverbal action or event that triggered you to have that negative thought. Your emotional response. So what is that one word feeling that you feel? How did the unhealthy thought make me feel in my emotions? Why did it agitate me? If it angered me, why was I angry? If it shamed me, why did I feel shame? If it shut me down, why did I shut down? So we're looking at the thought. We're looking at the negative voice or action, the trigger that causes a very strong one word emotional response. I like to narrow it down to one word feelings. And then the automatic thought that comes right with that. So it's usually a negative thought. It's usually a sarcastic thought. It's usually a a really oppressive thought. The one that immediately pops into your mind when you're triggered Uh, The go-to reaction or your feedback loop, which typically isn't a healthy response. It's critical to recognize and note the first thought that pops into mind. Don't judge it. Try to push it away or analyze it. Uh, Like I said, it's often sarcastic, harsh, judging, and go with the first thought. That is your subconscious speaking to you. So if we went back to maybe the thought was, um, I can't do anything right. I just can't do anything right. And that makes me feel sick to my stomach. It makes me feel so sad makes me feel defeated. And where do I feel defeated? Boy, it came, this isn't even true, but it came into my heart right away. Just saying that. I can't do anything right made my heart like feel terrible. Oh my, I'm frowning as I say this. And then it makes me go, yeah, that's right. You can't. That negative sarcastic judger is going, you're right. I mean, you might do it right once, but you can't do it right all the time. You're just not, you don't have the capability. And then you want to reframe that thought. And that is the, the thought that reframes it into a healthy thought. So this is where I encourage my own clients to use their intention setting skills here, creating a one-sentence intention that's positive, first-person, and present tense. For example, I only speak healing words about myself. Then I give you an example, and I outline at the very uh, end on page 95... I give you a beautiful way to reframe, and it's called out with the old and in with the new. That is what we're proclaiming here, out with the old and in with the new. So my old narrative, Janelle's old narrative, was Little Miss People Pleaser. My old narrative's unhealthy thought, I want everyone to like me, and I'll do whatever it takes to make someone like me. My new narrative, (laughs) haha. I'm a woman clothed in strength and dignity, Proverbs 31, 25. That is my prophetic footing for the rest of my life. My new narrative's healthy thought, I am clothed in God's strength and dignity and now accept love and value the God-breathed me even when I am emotionally triggered. Yeah. And I outline how I process that with the scenario that I give you in the chapter. So I am so excited that you have got some great heart lifting 
mental health gym work to do this week. And so I'm going to just leave you with these beautiful words by um, my favorite, one of my favorite Enneagram teachers, Beatrice Chestnut. And boy, I can't wait. I want to hopefully have her on the show very soon. She writes this. Each of us is unique and endowed with great potential, but we exist in a kind of waking sleep because of our early childhood programming. In order to know ourselves and evolve in positive ways, we first need to see that we essentially operate in a kind of waking sleep. Without conscious effort, page 96, circle those three words, we function to a large degree mechanically according to habitual patterns as we go about our everyday lives. Our sleep is the unexamined belief we all have that we live lives of relatively unlimited freedom when the opposite is true. We respond in predictable, repetitive ways according to the dictates of our early programming. So once again, this is not light work. (laughs) It's not light work, but it is life-changing work. And as you will read on page 100 and 101, I leave you to think about this question. How do you know that the story you are telling yourself is actually your God-breathed story? How do you know? And one of my other favorite Enneagram teachers, Ian Morgan Cron, says it this way. Sooner or later, we must distinguish between what we are not and what we are. We must accept the fact that we are not what we would like to be. We must cast off our false exterior self like the cheap and showy garment that it is. We must find our real self in all its elemental poverty, but also in its great and very simple dignity, created, created to be the child of a God and capable of loving with something of God's own sincerity and his unselfishness. I answered that question in the book. I can't wait for you to read it. Read my answer. And we can talk about that over on our private Facebook community group, Stronger Every Day, an online heartlifting community on Facebook. Sorry about that. So please join me there. I can't wait to walk through Tool 3 with you and to see how God helps you shape brand new, beautiful, healthy thoughts into beautiful new stories. Remember, you are clothed in strength and dignity with nothing to fear, nothing to fear. You can smile at your future, Heartlifter, because you are clothed in strength and dignity. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.